2: Well, he signed it a couple weeks ago on the show. We talked about Mike Pence casting the tie-breaking vote in the Senate for a new law that would allow states to defund Planned Parenthood. And this week on Thursday, President Trump signed it into law, and now states will be able to not provide funds to Planned Parenthood for services related to contraception, preventing STIs, screening for breast and cervical cancer, all to beat up Planned Parenthood Women are going to die. So now states, and we know which states are likely to go this route, red states, can deny funding to Planned Parenthood, not for abortion because no federal funds and no state funds go to Planned Parenthood to provide abortions. They're going to deny funding to Planned Parenthood that is spent on STI screenings, breast and cervical cancer screenings, and treatment, fertility care for people who are actually trying to get pregnant. All of that funding is going to be cut off. And as a consequence of the law that... Mike Pence cast the tie-breaking vote for, and Donald Trump signed into law. Women are going to die. Which brings me to itmfa.org or impeachthemotherfuckeralready.com. We announced it on the show a couple of months ago. I was bringing back Impeach the Motherfucker Already as a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood, the American Civil Liberties Union, and the International Refugee Assistance Project. And eight weeks later, it is my... Pleasure to announce that we are cutting checks this week. We are donating $100,000, which will be split between the three agencies, just from selling t-shirts, buttons, and hats over the last eight weeks. We're giving $33,333.33 to the International Refugee Assistance Project, $33,333.33 to the American Civil Liberties Union, and $33,333.34 to... Planned Parenthood. They are getting the extra penny in the hundred grand because Trump was the biggest asshole to them this week. I got to say, thank you all so much. Thanks to everybody who got ITMFA buttons, hats, and t-shirts. I can't believe we've raised so much money just selling buttons, hats, and t-shirts over the last eight weeks. We also now are selling stickers, coffee mugs, and classy enamel lapel pins. So for people who don't wear T-shirts to work with protest slogans or aren't button types, but are suit and tie types. You can now wear ITMFA, a little tasteful lapel pin with ITMFA. You can also order them and send them to your member of Congress for them to wear on cable news and on the floor of the Senate and in the House. I'm wearing an ITMFA t-shirt right now myself. I have ITMFA buttons on my backpack and on my jacket. And here's the best part. And I don't have to tell this to people who have ITMFA hats or buttons or t-shirts of their own already. This is for those of you out there who have not yet ordered ITMFA wear or gear. And we want you to because we want to raise another hundred grand for these terrific organizations over the next couple of months. But the fun of wearing this stuff in public is that people look at you when you're sitting there in your ITMFA t-shirt or wearing your ITMFA red hat. And they say... What does that stand for? What does that mean? ITMFA, what does that mean? And you get to tell them. And in that moment when you say, it means impeach the motherfucker already – You've either made a new friend or you've confronted a Trump voter with the reality that he's a really unpopular motherfucking president with plummeting poll numbers and plummeting approval ratings, and you are one of the people who are going to vote to take him out in 2020 and vote to take back the House in 2018 so we can have a real investigation into all the reasons we need to impeach this motherfucker already. Those interactions are so much fucking fun. I have had dozens of them myself. It's the reason why we sell the buttons in 10 packs and really cheaply, really close to cost, so that you can put them in your pocket when someone sees your button and asks you what it means and they laugh. You can hand them a button so they can wear one too and have that same experience and hopefully get online and order some more for themselves. So please help us keep raising money. Please go to itmfa.org or if you prefer to type it out the long way for fun, go to impeach the motherfucker already. Dot com and when you get your gear, take a picture, put it on Instagram, put it on Twitter, and use the hashtag itmfa so we can find you and share your pictures. Join us in itmfa land, have fun with it, and help spread the word and help uh, have a sense of humor while you're doing this resistance thing that we're all doing right now. Let's keep it going and let's raise another hundred grand for these three terrific organizations. All right, coming up. Tons of your calls, tons of my answers, and on today's Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, which you can subscribe to at Lovecast.com, we are having a do-over. I want to call it a rare do-over, but it's actually our first do-over ever. It's on the Magnum. You're going to want to subscribe to hear that. Coming up now.
3: good G'day, Dan. It's uh, Brett calling from Australia here. My girlfriend and I have been uh, chatting, and we have a question for you. We've noticed a phenomenon online, for example, on Craigslist, of guys who are looking for a wank body, essentially someone to watch porn and wank with. Can you explain this psychological side behind this, please? Uh, we're a heteroflexible couple. We're kinky, we're open, but we just can't understand this appeal. Is it exhibitionism? Is it gay? Is it bi? And how does someone being next to you, wanking next to you, how does it add to the experience? Anyway, see you, mate.
2: I want to start with your farewell. See you, mate. Wanking isn't mating. Wanking isn't fucking. But some people like to watch other people mate. Some people like to see you mate. And wanking is, of course, sexual and is erotic. And there's a lot of porn out there that is just people wanking. And people want to obviously see that. They want to watch that. Otherwise, there wouldn't be such tremendous supply of that. So the appeal of a wank buddy to me seems obvious. And it seems as if you've already kind of... Understood it. You've already read it. You you nailed it. It's exhibitionism and it's potentially gay or bi exhibitionism. It might be a guy who is a tiny bit gay or is bi, but still working through it. And the most that he's comfortable with right now is being in an erotic shared experience space with another dude where their focus isn't necessarily on each other or on each other's dicks, but on the screen in front of them. But there's kind of this ambient same-sex gayness shit happening around them with the mutual rankery and the plausible deniability hey we're nothing gay happening here nothing bi happening here we're just two straight guys together enjoying porn and having a side-by-side wank and if oh my god our thighs should happen to touch on the couch who knows what might happen what might happen when the match lands in that puddle of gasoline in the sitting room in the parlor where you watch your pornography no appeal to you obviously but its appeal to me seems to be quite obvious mate oh and speaking of australia and wanking inmates we get a lot of calls from australia i get a lot of letters from australia to my sex advice column savage love and although my podcast is of course available all over australia savage love my column doesn't appear in any newspapers in australia and that annoys me very much if there's anybody out there who's got a newspaper and you'd like to pick up savage love the column please do get in touch
4: Hi, Dan. I have a question for you um, that's about in-laws and children. My husband is an only child. We live in the Midwest. His parents live in the Southwest, um, and they've always been kind of quirky folks. Um, They're both estranged from their families, by and large. I've been with my husband since 2001, and I've never met a single cousin, aunt or uncle of his. And his parents also have 12 cats that live indoors with them. So we have two sons. They are two and five. And up until now, their Southwest grandparents saw their grandchildren about once a year um, with occasional Skype calls, although my husband always had to initiate the calls. Um, His parents had this weird passive aggressive thing about never being the ones to reach out. Uh, My husband even had to call them on his own birthday every year. Uh, This year, things got even more unusual. They told us already in the spring that they don't intend on seeing their grandsons in 2017 because they're unwilling and unable to travel because their cats are too hard to leave, both practically and emotionally. It's too hard to find a cat sitter for them. The cats are sick and they want to spend as much time as possible with their aging cats. My husband pressed them to find out if this was really the reason why they were traveling. He offered to pay for their travel fees um, and they said no, basically it's that their, their cats are like their children to them. I sent them an email privately a couple days ago saying that my husband is worried that maybe he's hurt their feelings or perhaps they're ill and trying to hide it from them and that it would make him feel better if they let him know if they'd want us to come see them, um, which would involve foreign plane tickets, hotel, car rental. Um, and as a side note, when they come visit us in the Midwest, we pay for their airfare and they stay with us. They didn't reply to me and they didn't reply to my husband, aside from saying, telling him that they're not mentally ill. or just choosing their cats over us. My question is what to tell my husband and what to tell my kids. Um, The kids don't really notice right now um, that they have these two grandparents they don't see, but I think they will someday. They're going to wonder what's up with these grandparents. Uh, My parents live local, and so they see them about once a week. My husband, meanwhile, is sad and shocked and angry and confused that his parents are acting this way. So I just want to know um, what I should tell my kids someday if I should actually say your grandparents prefer the company of their cats over you. Um, and what do I tell my husband? Is it best to just consider them mentally ill? Should I tell them to see a therapist? Just not sure what the best thing to do is.
2: I promise you, your kids don't give a shit. And I think you should model your behavior going forward on that of your children. That This is normal for them that they have a couple of grandparents who live nearby that they see frequently and they have a couple of grandparents who live far away that they see infrequently or never at all who have not been a part of their lives. You have this idea in your head about what a grandparent ought to be and you're worried your kids are going to be devastated when they grow up and realize that they have one set of grandparents who weren't the kind of grandparents that their mother felt grandparents ought to be. Grandparents like her parents have been to them. Your kids are not going to regard it that way I didn't see my one set of my grandparents until I was five I didn't meet them till I was five because there had been this falling out and it had never popped into my five-year-old head or my older siblings heads that something was terribly amiss our parents just didn't talk about it not in a dysfunctional secrets and lies long days journey in tonight kind of way just in a well this is the facts in the ground here are your grandparents who live downstairs and there are other grandparents who are out there but we were we don't get to see them very often. Keep it simple. Sounds like your husband's parents are mentally ill and it sounds like your husband has been for decades doing a serviceable job of managing his interactions with his parents and limiting his interactions with his parents. I believe that there must be a good reason that your husband lives far away from his parents and – It may be painful for your husband to see the effort or work that you're putting into trying to shove him and his parents and his kids together when he has distanced himself from his parents for his own sanity's sake. So leave it the fuck alone. Let your husband manage this relationship with his own parents. Have a few Skype calls now and then. If you feel like going to see them after a couple of years, go to see them. But for your own peace of mind and if your children ever ask, yeah, go ahead and round his parents up. Round parents who chose 12 ailing cats of a relationship with their own grandchildren. Round them up to mentally ill because that is the likeliest answer. And stop stressing about it and stop projecting your own hopes and your own thoughts and your own ideas about what a grandparent should be onto your children and their feelings about their paternal grandparents, because I promise you they don't give a shit.
5: Hi, Dan and Nancy in the tech savvy at rescues. I am a 28 year old bi lady living in Chicago. I have a partner who I've been seeing for five years. He is a man and we uh, everything is really great with him. We're getting married in November. I'm really excited about that. The thing that's happened is we have a another person that we both date. We're in an open poly relationship. We have been for several years. We've worked very hard on that. And it like works very well for us in almost every other way, (laughs) except for this right now. So we have this other partner who we started seeing. I started seeing her about three years ago because I was having threesomes with her and her partner, and then her partner moved away. And so she started seeing me and my partner and seeing us together. And things were really good for a long time, for about two and a half years. And then now we have a, a problem where she has to leave the country. She's an immigrant and decided not to apply for a visa to stay any longer. It can be really hard. We like, we know that she's leaving. We care very deeply for her. We both love her. And recently we had a conversation with her about two weeks ago about she had been very melancholy and, and expressed to us that she was feeling very sad about the fact that she has to move away and that. She felt unsure about how we felt about her. And so we had this really good talk, and we were like, you know, we love you and we care about you. But ever since then, it has like, I have noticed a real switch has happened where she has now started to refer to us all as a successful thruffle. And she's done this several times. I've literally never used that word before it's not something i'm comfortable with that is not a relationship structure i am cool with uh my partner knows that he and i have discussed this and my my feelings about this he and i have talked about this and i don't i don't know what to do she started to refer to him as my partner and i have this like visceral reaction it makes me deeply uncomfortable like I I really really care about this woman, and I like I don't want to fuck up our relationship with her or fuck her up right before she has to go through this like traumatic move that she doesn't really want to be taking but it has to. Well, I I don't really know how to navigate this. If she was staying and things were not like on this edge, I feel like we could. My partner and I both said we would both just talk to her and be like, "Look, we need to set these bounds and be very clear about this." But like I said, we don't want to fuck her up right before she has to to leave. And we don't like. We want to appreciate this time that we have that's left with her. So I don't really know how to navigate this. Like, should I just kind of like bottle it in and know that, like, it's gonna end, and so I should be okay with it? Or do I talk to her and risk like ruining our relationship and like ruining her last months in the states? Like, I just don't know what to do.
2: I'm torn. On the one hand, I want to tell you that this problem is going to solve itself. That your other partner, which is how you describe her, we have another partner. Your other partner is moving home, which with where our country is going right now does not to me seem entirely irrational. I'm not sure if she did apply to extend her visa. She would enjoy the process that she would be forced to go through and it might require her to go home anyway because of the racist xenophobic shitbags who sees the White House. But that is for the top of the show, not the middle of the show. It's a problem that's going to solve itself. She's going home. Let her think whatever she wants to think. Let her think that you guys are a threeple. Let her think that this is a really successful relationship. And then my worst case scenario disorder kicks in and I worry for you that allowing this problem to fix itself, allowing her to believe what she now believes about this relationship, which she believes now because of whatever it was that you and your – fiance said to her in that conversation where you assured her that you loved her very much and had very strong feelings for her she was not describing you three as a successful thruple before that conversation so you guys said something as i think you were trying to be kind to her and communicate to her how much that she meant to you that maybe you gave her the impression that she meant more to you and was more important to you than she actually is and now she regards Clearly now she regards her relationship with you guys differently than she did before that conversation. That conversation was really a turning point. So this is where my worst case scenario disorder kicks in. Allowing this just to play out with her leaving the country, well, leaving the country was a decision that she made before this conversation that changed how she views her relationship with you two. And that conversation, just as it changed how she views her relationship with you guys, may change – her feelings about her plans may change what she does next. You know, what are you going to do if she marches into your house tomorrow and says, now that she realizes how much you guys love her, because you told her how much you love her, and now that she sees that you three are that rarest of things, a long term successful thruple, not the rarest of things, but a rare thing, long term successful thruple, she's not going. In fact, she has a friend who offered to marry her and get her a green card so she can stay in the States. And isn't that wonderful? And now you don't have to endure the heartache, any of you, of her departure. You're going to be together as a loving thruple forever. The real risk, I think, to protect your own butts, to protect yourself, to protect the primacy of your couplehood, and you are clearly not interested in thruplehood— You are poly in the sense that there is a couple and you have secondary or tertiary relationships with others. But you two are the firm. To protect that, you're going to have to tell her the truth. You're going to have to say to her, love you very much, but we're a couple, not a throuple. And you are someone that we date and see and have very strong feelings for. But this is not a co-equal through a relationship. We are a married couple and you are our girlfriend and we are the couple and you are the very special guest star. You are the recurring role. You are someone we like very much and would like to keep seeing in this secondary role. And the supporting role, the Oscar for the supporting role, goes to you but not a starring role. Because that may change how she feels. That may actually help her to leave. Because if you guys don't feel about her the same way that she feels about you, maybe she'll have a big sad, but she'll feel better about going home and starting over with someone else. So in a way, the conversation you need to have with her, you may hesitate to have with her for fear of hurting her, and it is going to hurt her. But paradoxically, it's also going to potentially make it easier for her to leave. And the leaving less painful. So maybe it'll be a wash. Maybe she will come out even hurt by hearing what it is that you need to say to her, less hurt by then leaving and leaving the two of you behind.
6: Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a 27-year-old female calling from Canada, and I need your advice with a situation I've found myself in. I've been seeing someone for about six months, and I found out along the way that he's pretty religious, Um, and this translates into some sort of confusing, contradictory ideas about sex. This has come up with a few isolated incidents. He decided about three months into our relationship that he didn't feel comfortable having premarital sex anymore and he wanted to stop. I didn't really understand this, but I tried to see it from his perspective and agreed that we could try uh, to continue the relationship without having sex. Unfortunately, one night after we had been drinking a little bit and he came back to my place, he essentially forced himself on me and I pushed him off um, and and it was okay. But I see that it was sort of not a healthy situation. and Had I not been a stronger person, um, I think he may have gone through with it. He was apologetic after, but essentially said he was really drunk and that he wouldn't put himself in that situation again, i.e. drinking too much and then coming back with me. Kind of that it was the situation and not him. I decided that I could let it go and would just sort of be aware for, like on the lookout for anything else bad to happen. On a separate incident recently, though, I we were both sleeping in the same bed. Oh, I should add that he decided a few months ago that he wanted to start having sex again, ostensibly because it was something that I wanted to do. So yes, we were sleeping in the same bed and he woke up in the middle of the night and I didn't really wake up. And I guess he ended up having sex with me sort of while I was sleeping. Um, I was a bit upset about that. And I explained to him, why that was upsetting to me. And his response was that he thought I was awake, otherwise he wouldn't have done it. So obviously these things are not very good, but I don't know if they're just isolated incidents and I need to be more understanding of this like sexually repressed background that he's come from. There's been a few other incidents as well. We had the previous relationships talk and obviously I've had more sex in my past than he has. And the outcome of that conversation essentially was that he broke up with me for having slept with too many people, but then sort of like did some soul searching and decided he could live with my past and move on. So I guess what my question is for you is what should I do? Should I stay with him and sort of help him through this like sexual awakening, I guess, that he's having and help him navigate what's right and wrong in a sexual relationship with someone? Or is this showing abusive behavior that is going to get worse or just sort of come back? I don't know. My friends obviously have very strong opinions about this, but for some reason, I maybe need to hear it from you.
2: You don't say how long you've been listening to the show, but I'm going to assume you didn't find my phone number on the back of a business card blowing down the street and just called call me i'm going to assume you've been listening to the show for a while most people listen to an advice columnist show or read the column for a while before entrusting that particular columnist with their problem so you're a listener i'm just going to assume you're a listener but obviously nothing i've ever said on this topic has registered with you has, has sunk in yeah you have to break the fuck up with this slut shaming sexually repressed rapey piece of shit you have to break up with him You say he forced himself on you when he was drunk and you pushed him off. And maybe if you hadn't been as strong in the moment uh, or as strong as the person that you are, he would have raped you. So it was okay. No, it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay that he attempted to rape you. It wasn't okay that he had sex with you when you were asleep and then said he thought you were awake. It's pretty – I've been sleeping next to the same guy for 23 years. It's pretty easy to tell when someone is asleep versus when someone is – the fuck awake and you fuck them when they're awake not when they're asleep i'm sorry you gotta listen to your friends you gotta break up with this guy you are not there to repair him you are not a sex doctor you are not obligated to fix this man your pussy isn't chemotherapy your your, your tits aren't counseling you're not going to make him better you're not going to fuck him into a better person you say you want to maybe hold his sexually repressed hand and help him through the sexual awakening uh, and help him achieve the kind of sexual relationship growth he needs to achieve you know what part of do you know what part of do you know what a very important part of a lot of people's sexual awakening and sexual maturing involves consequences when they shit the bed it stinks He has shat the bed with you repeatedly, and now you need to break up with him for those reasons, and then he needs to sit there alone with his dick and think, wow, I really fucked that up by being a sexually repressed, rapey, slut-shaming piece of shit. Maybe I won't be a piece of shit anymore. Maybe I'm going to get the therapy and help that I need so that the next person who is willing to get naked with me, I don't drive off and cost myself that next relationship the way I cost myself my previous relationship— By being a slut-shaming, sexually repressed, rapey piece of shit. Maybe I'm not going to be that anymore so that in the future I don't get dumped for that again. So don't think that by dumping him you are in any way interfering with the awakening that this fucking fast asleep dolt needs. You are participating in the awakening that he needs. You are perhaps by dumping him doing better by him than you are ever going to be able to do by staying. You're staying with him and it ain't getting better. You're staying with him and you're getting this, we should be virgins again. And you're staying with him and you're getting fucked in your sleep. And you're staying with him and you're getting, he gets drunk and forces himself on you, which is never okay. And you're staying with him and you're getting slut shaming garbage about the numbers of partners that you've had. You've stayed with him. You've tried and he hasn't gotten any better. Now you're going to try dumping him. I order you to dump him. There are other men in Can. I've been to Canada. There are other men in Canada. Failing that, there are trees all over Canada. You can break a branch off and whittle a limb into a dildo and fuck that instead. And that's not going to get drunk and rape you in the middle of the night. And that tree branch is not going to slut shame you. It's going to be your best friend. Or if you don't want to risk a splinter, go to Come As You Are or one of Canada's other fine sex toy emporiums and get a toy. But dump this
7: boy. Hey, Dan. This is a 31-year-old man from the East Coast giving you a call. Um, I don't really have a question as much as I have a confession, I guess. Um, I've been dating my current girlfriend for a little over a year, and it is great. It's a great relationship. We're both super happy. At least I'm super happy, I believe she is. But um, throughout the course of her life, she's been sexually abused uh, a few times, and in conversations with her, uh, you know, like they brought to my attention that a few years ago, when I was probably about 25, 24, something around there, um, I date raped a girl and it, yeah, it's just a terrible thing that I did. And what, why, why I'm calling to tell the story is just that I feel that the way that we talk about rape in our society isn't enough, as I'm sure most people realize. And I, I just think that not enough not enough males realize when they've potentially date raped someone, because I, as I understand it, women are socialized to, you know, not fight back and to just kind of accept things. And I don't want to make any excuses for what happened that night. I I can say that there was a lot of alcohol and I do remember that, you know, we were having sex and in the middle of it, she said no. And I remember like ignoring that and finishing and I feel terrible. And I I wish that there was something I could say or do to rectify the situation. I don't, I no longer keep in contact with the girl that, that I raped and I know that if I did, there's nothing that could take back what I had done. But I really, I just wanted to call and, and tell, talk about this just to, so that other men can maybe think about the actions that they take and the consequences and just be more aware of what potentially constitutes rape.
2: So this guy sounds pretty woke.
0: Yeah, good on him.
2: Nancy is joining me for this call because I wasn't sure exactly what to say. Listening to the call, you know, he was rattling through life. He's 31 years old. He meets this girl. She becomes his girlfriend. He has feelings for her. She has a history of having been sexually abused. And piecing together what seems to have happened, it wasn't until he had some sort of conversation with his girlfriend that he realized that this thing he did years ago to some other girl when he was 25 and was old enough to know better – was rape and i'm just gonna go out on a limb here and say well obviously it seems that his girlfriend probably related some story that was very similar to the story he relates where he was the dude in the circumstance and he suddenly realized at that moment that what he did was rape that he date raped someone because he was having consensual sex she withdrew her consent she said no meaning stop and he didn't stop and finished And I'm going to assume that his girlfriend related a very similar experience labeled it rape. And he was like, oh, my God, I'm a rapist.
0: Yeah, that could be. Could likely be. We don't know. But yeah, sounds right.
2: So is this we're playing this call because it's good for him to get it off his chest because it's good for other men to hear.
0: I love this call personally. I love it when men stick their neck out for feminism. And it seems to me like it doesn't happen often enough. Um, I know that it can it it can appear like, oh, you know, I'm so good. Like, look how virtuous I am. But I didn't get that feeling from this man. I think it takes courage to step forward and say what I did was rape. It's horrible. And, um,
2: And I'm going to put this out there so other men will think about what they've done and whether they've raped anyone or think about what they're doing in the moment. So as not to rape someone, because this seems to me pretty obvious. Somebody says no. Somebody says stop. You fucking stop. That's it. You stop. You don't power past a no. You don't finish after someone says no. You don't get to finish when someone says no. You stop what you're doing and maybe you're not going to finish or maybe you will have a little conversation and find some other way to finish that is mutually pleasurable and consensual. But whatever you're doing at that moment ends. Yeah. And so here we have a guy calling in who's now in his 30s, who in his 20s did this thing, which now in his 30s he gets to feel bad about. And maybe it is a virtuous thing for him to do to, to make this call and reach out to other men who have not yet done this sort of thing and get it in their heads that if they should do this sort of thing, that there will come a time where they will feel bad about it.
0: Yeah, it, it, I mean, him stepping forward and saying this is a way for men who are just getting started with Falcon to think about it ahead of time, like men's need to start thinking about it as they get sexually active, especially, and, you know, be aware for both men and women, of course, the alcohol component is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, be aware that if you're drinking that you have to be, you have to be careful. And men just don't, I mean, they just don't feel like they need to be careful yet. And women have been screaming about this. You know, we've been, there's been so much discourse lately about it. And I'm still not seeing a ton of men stepping in and, and speaking up. And that's why this I was very moved by it and thank you for calling, caller.
2: And it shouldn't take a woman that you care about relating this experience for you to realize that when you did this to a woman that maybe you didn't know very well or didn't care about or aren't with anymore was rape. Because like, I, I think what happened here was he'd, uh, he'd done this and maybe felt a little squicked about it or a little conflicted about it, maybe, or maybe felt nothing about it. And then someone he really likes, someone he loves, this new girl, relates a very similar experience to him. And he sees in her eyes, he sees in the way she's telling him about this, that it was very traumatic for her, that it was rape, that she was raped in this way that he had raped someone else, he now realizes. And his eyes are open to that. It shouldn't take that for a dude or anyone to realize that finishing after a no is non-consensual, is rape. And you shouldn't do it. It's It's kind of a sad... I I guess self indictment on part of the caller. It's kind of a sad, you know, indictment that that's what it takes for some people. For it, it's kind of Republican esque in a way, like the whole Republican empathy gap. That it, you know, stem cell research doesn't matter to me because I don't know anybody with uh, a a genetic disorder, and marriage, gay marriage doesn't matter to me because I don't have anybody in my life who's gay that uh, you know. We talk about that a lot, that this empathy gap with GOPers, is this just another iteration? of that? not calling you a Republican on top of you calling yourself a rapist, but there's an empathy gap here. There is a failure of moral imagination here that reminds me of that Republican inability, uh, that Republican constant failure of moral imagination, failure of empathy. That he wasn't able to empathize with the woman that he was with in this circumstance until a woman that he cared about told him about a very similar circumstance
0: yeah and he probably hadn't thought about that incident for years. It just he just like stuffed it down the memory hole, as you say. They were both drunk, I assume she was too, and so he was just able to just move on. Maybe everybody around him was doing the same thing. It was like a partying college culture where nobody was really thinking. Everyone's just sort of driving forward thoughtlessly. I mean, that's what I picture
2: if you were the woman, not the girlfriend, but the woman from when he was twenty five that he's no longer in touch with, would you want an apology? Would you want to hear from this guy? Golly. years later.
0: Uh personally I say yes. I I'm very I'm very happy to say that I've never been sexually assaulted. So I don't know. Um but yeah. I mean yes, I would want an apology. Yeah.
2: So maybe he says he's not calling for advice. He's calling to make a statement. We're going to give him a little bit of advice anyway, which is to reach out to this person, to take some responsibility for that moment and to apologize to her and let her know that you feel terrible and that you're a better man now and you would never do that again and you just wanted to apologize yeah
0: yeah, i think that would be really meaningful for her i you know i don't know their circumstances but yeah and keep keep talking about it men need to talk to each other about this it's it's your turn guys you gotta you gotta start lifting
2: yes men we have to do the lifting because we're never going to end rape culture until men take responsibility and hold each other and themselves accountable
8: Hi, Dan. My name is Hannah and uh, I actually live abroad in Italy, but I'm a big fan of the show. I think you give great advice and I would like some of your advice. So um, this very good friend of me and my husband, he is gay and HIV positive. We've known that for at least five years now. And a mutual friend of his and also his roommate has talked to us about the fact that he may be a sex addict and he our friend who we're concerned about has actually admitted to her that this may be true. So we know that he's engaging in high-risk sex, that he's going to public places to hook up with strangers, that he's finding partners online. And I can also say that he he's really just obsessed with sex. He's always talking about it. He's always making jokes about it. And that's all fine and good up to a certain point, but it's really getting to be at a level where we're not really comfortable with it. It's becoming unpleasant to be around. It's just it's just too much. Um, I don't think it's healthy. So I know about his sexual activity that he tries to inform his partners of his HIV status ahead of time, especially when he's hooking up with guys he finds online, he tries to use protection. But I also know he's told us that this doesn't always happen and accidents have happened in the past. So we want to know what should we do as friends? Is it our place or to say something, or do we need to let him manage his own personal life by himself? How can we approach this subject with him and where should we look for help? You know, we're really concerned about our friend, um, our relationship with this friend. We'd like to continue being friends with him. Um, we really care about him and his health, but I'm also concerned that he's putting other people at risk and that this um unhealthy obsession with sex in addition to his h i v status is not a good combination
2: It's possible that the constant joking and talking about sex and the sharing of all the details of his encounters with other men are a cry for help, and that he wants you guys to intervene that he wants you guys to say something that he is engaged in a little negative attention seeking. So say something. He sounds like a really unpleasant person to be friends with. If he won't shut the fuck up about sex, if he can't talk about anything else, he sounds tedious and boring and you can lead with that. Look, like we got to be able to talk about other shit than just what and who you're doing with your dick because that is not a topic of endless fascination for other human beings and we want to have relationships as friends and friends talk about things other than one particular friend's Dick. So you can start with that. That's probably where I would start with him. Change the fucking subject every once in a while. If you're concerned about the pace at which he is having sex, then you can address that too. Maybe he needs an intervention. Maybe he needs to hear that he is out of control sexually. And maybe the reason he's telling you all of these things is that he wants someone to witness how out of control he is sexually and for them to take responsibility for him and his actions in a way that he is incapable of taking responsibility for himself and his own actions. That is likely to be a fool's errand, however. It's also possible your friend isn't a sex addict. It's possible, as David Lay and others have argued, there's no such thing as sex addiction. One person's sex addiction is another person's libido. And people judge people who have more sex than they do. Nobody thinks somebody's a sex addict who's having less sex than they are or less sex than they want to have. But people can be compulsive about their sexual behavior. But then it's usually not about the sex. It's about some other issue or problem in their lives that they need help with. And maybe he needs help and maybe you could find a therapist for him in Italy, but you can't make him go to a therapist to talk about the amount of sex he's having or the kind of sex he's having and with whom he's having it. If he's not willing to go so you can offer him help, but if he doesn't take it, then there's not much else you can do besides weaning yourself from him, besides gradually limiting your interactions with him. If you find them unpleasant and they sound pretty fucking unpleasant and Allowing the friendship to, if not be on the back burner, then to die entirely. As for the stuff that he's doing with other people, hopefully he's HIV positive and in treatment and taking his medications and has a zero viral load. If that is the case, if he has an undetectable viral load, not zero, undetectable, he is essentially non-infectious. So it's unlikely even at those moments when he is unsafe with others – that he is putting them at risk of HIV infection if he is compliant with his treatment. And you can ask him that question. Are you on your meds? Are you taking care of yourself? What's your viral load like? And then you can worry a little bit less about what he's doing with these other guys. He's at risk for contracting other sexually transmitted infections and passing other sexually transmitted infections along during these interactions. As he, as a responsible adult who's already HIV positive, damn well knows. And the guys that he's getting with who are self-selecting for anonymous sex with people that they know nothing about. They are running obvious and apparent risks that should be known to them. And you can't like wonder woman burst in and pry them apart. Those are known risks that both parties are taking at those moments. And he is responsible for his own health and safety. And I also believe he is responsible for the health and safety of his partners. And he has to be a moral actor during those encounters, but they are also responsible for their own health and safety. They have agency. They have a moral responsibility to him and to themselves to look after themselves and take care of themselves. There is a mutual disconnect there. There is mutual failure there. It's not all on him. He is not just the big bad wolf with HIV. Who's dragging little boy riding hoods into the woods and raping them. So try to keep that in perspective Have a big talk with your friend about your concerns. If he's not ready to accept help, if he doesn't think he has a problem, there's nothing you can do about it except to limit the amount of time you spend with him. If you find that time unpleasant and it sounds like you do, then that's not a friendship. That's bullshit.
9: Hi, Dan. I'm 24, live in Texas. I have a question about me and the guy I'm seeing. I've been seeing him since December. Personally, I explore in the BDSM world. I go to a BDSM club maybe once or twice a week. I'm into bondage and rope. I have a rope tying partner right now who I tie with um, either at the BDSM club or at events. We are platonic. We don't kiss. We just tie to practice tying and to give me more experience and to get me more comfortable. I've told my partner since the second date about my involvement in this world. He's very curious. He's very accepting. He's always aware of when I'm tying with my partner and when the events are, and I always ask him and tell him, like, he's going. Um, I just need advice on how to help him be more comfortable with the idea that I am being tied up by another guy, still causing him to feel a little weird. I've been sure to... Assure him that he is my first concern. His feelings are always first. If he's ever weird or jealous or can't handle it that day, that he can be open and honest and tell me, and I will respect him first and foremost.
5: If you just have any other basic
9: suggestions on how to introduce this person I'm seeing to this world I'm also involved in and make his transition or exploration more comfortable, I would really appreciate it.
2: People who aren't involved in the BDSM community, particularly the BDSM scene that involves play parties, they can't really wrap their heads around the idea that people may do BDSM, may do bondage and rope work with someone that they're not sexually involved with. It is an erotic experience. It is a sensual experience, but it's not an intense Sexual connection. And so someone who's outside of that, who has a partner who is inside of that, or beginning to date someone who is inside of that, may assume that there is this intense connection there, this intense sexual connection there, that this isn't the way you describe it, and is often described by people in BDSM. This isn't two people who have this shared interest/slash hobby that, of course, has a sexual component, who are pursuing this hobby interest together, but there's not this intense, romantic, sexual connection, bond, potential that a romantic partner needs to be concerned about or jealous of. In a sense, you are turned on by bowling and you go bowling with this other person who's turned on by bowling, except the bowling is bondage in your case. To help your partner see what this is actually about, the obvious and easiest route is to take him to a couple of these play parties with you, to demystify them. The trick, though, at first is when you go to these play parties, go to one where your bondage partner – Is or is going to attend, but he's going to attend with someone else that he does this rope work with, somebody else that he ties up. And you and your boyfriend just go and observe. Let him see what the scene is like. Let him see what these interactions are like. Let him see what a bondage scene in a play party like that, where there's not going to be necessarily much or any sexual contact, is about. Yes, it's sensuous. Yes, it's tactile. Yes, it is erotic. It has all of that going, but it's not a lot of kissing and it's not a lot of fucking and it's not doesn't end in the missionary position on the floor with ropes scattered all over the floor when you and your bondage buddy play and then go again and then maybe go a third time and that third time your bondage buddy ties you up and your romantic partner is there and if anyone's bestowing kisses on you it can be a romantic partner it would also help if your romantic partner at the first couple of parties that you attended together talked with other people who experience this the same way that you do Yes, for some, bondage is all tied up in the end with missionary position, sex on the floor with rubs scattered around the room. That's the reward or where it's all going. But there are others who that's the reward itself. The bondage is the point. The bondage is the experience. And It sounds like that's what it is for you, particularly in the context of this relationship. And the only way to get your boyfriend to really understand that is to let him see that relationship.
10: Hi, Dan. Uh, Love your show. Love you and I'm so excited to be calling in. A few days ago, I was on a forced date with this incredible guy that I'm just gaga over. We had spent the entire day together on a road trip and were ending the night cuddled up on my couch. He initiated the cuddling, which surprised me because he hadn't made any kind of touchy feely moves prior to that night. Things have been progressing slowly, which is fine, Since I haven't dated in a while, but when he went to leave, I thought I would be bold and initiate a kiss. So he goes to give me a hug and I lean in for a kiss. And then he turns his head away quickly, making me give him an awkward kiss on the cheek. And then he says, I don't really kiss. And I was devastated. He has been texting me nonstop since that night and wants to go on another date. But I have no idea how to feel. Do some people really not like to kiss or did he not want to kiss me? I really find it hard to believe I misread him, especially if he is asking for another date. If it is just that kissing freaks him out, how do I deal with a relationship with no kissing? I am very into him and have kissed enough frogs that I almost don't mind not being able to kiss my prince.
2: You answered your own question for yourself right there at the end. I was going to jump in and say, if you don't want to be with someone who won't kiss you, then don't be with this guy. If kissing is a deal breaker for you, if you require kissing in a romantic relationship, if kissing is important to you during sex and during regular routine intimacy when you're in a romantic relationship, then not the guy for you. But at the end, you say, maybe you could wrap your head around him. Maybe you like this guy. Like him well enough that... A relationship without any kissing is something that you're willing to explore or contemplate, in which case, see him again. But ask him questions. As a condition of seeing him, you're not going to be able to kiss, right? He's put that on the table. As a condition of seeing you, he has some explaining to do. Because I like to joke that oral comes standard. Any model that arrives without oral should be returned immediately to the lot. Kissing comes super standard. Kissing was always there, kissing's always been a part of it for almost everybody. The only people I've ever heard say they're not into kissing are kind of cliche gay men from 40 years ago who didn't think that the gay sex they were having was that gay if they didn't kiss. There's a famous line from a gay memoir, 40-year-old gay memoir, uh, Best Little Boy in the World by Andrew Tobias, where he talks about how cowboys don't kiss. He wanted to have sex with men. But it wasn't going to be gay, and he wasn't going to be homosexual if they didn't kiss, because cowboys don't kiss. But cowboys fuck a butt. But cowboys don't kiss. I've never heard a straight guy or a heterosexual being like, "I'm a heterosexual. I don't kiss." So he has some explaining to do. The condition of seeing you again, some explanations, some questions answered, answered to your satisfaction. If you can't answer them to your satisfaction, keep kissing other frogs until you find the prince.
11: Hi, Dan. I'm a long time listener, first time caller, calling from the UK. I have a serious problem. So for the last three and a half years, I've been in a DS relationship with a guy who lives in the States and he's also my cousin, which for obvious reasons has caused massive amounts of problems. We Neither of us can tell our families because Lord knows that would kick up all kinds of a fuss. So we've both been keeping it on the down low for the entire time. Um in the meantime, he's had various girlfriends which he's called, you know, beards, like they're not his real girlfriend. They're just so that his mom doesn't suspect anything, but then, you know, he moves in with them or whatever else and they end up breaking up because they find out about me and it all gets horribly messed up. So we're four thousand miles away apart from each other and trying to kind of keep everything going is incredibly difficult. We do keep having really large arguments, usually because he's crossed some kind of boundary that some point in the past, I've said, you know, this is a red line for me, no, you know, can't go past this point, I can't deal with it, does it anyway, whether it's, uh, so he used to just go completely kind of radio silent, if we would have an argument, or I would say something he didn't, he wasn't happy with. And mostly that's been sorted. Now there's other problems, and I just, I don't think it's healthy for either of us anymore. But then every time I try and say, you know, we need to put a stop to this or we need to dial it back or we need to work out what the hell we're doing. He basically says, you know, there's two options. We can be each other's piece on the side. We can be each other's you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, but still not tell anyone. But we can't go back to just being family members and just being best friends, which we've been our whole lives. And I don't know how to deal with not having him in my life.
2: I don't see what the problem is here. I don't see why you guys couldn't be boyfriend and girlfriend. Keep the DS stuff to yourselves. Your family doesn't need to know the details of your sexual relationship or connection. But it is perfectly legal for first cousins to marry in 26 states. Those marriages are recognized in all 50 states. It is legal for first cousins to marry uh, in the United Kingdom and in every single country in Europe and in the European Union, uh, in Mexico and Canada The relationship you're in is not necessarily that controversial. It definitely squicks people out a little bit. That's why there are websites like cousincouples.com where you will discover that Albert Einstein married his first cousin and so did Charles Darwin and Franklin Roosevelt. And the British royal family has been marrying cousins, perhaps too many cousins, perhaps too closely related, for a very long time. Habsburgs did too and that kind of ended in a genetic dead end eventually, but it took thousands of years. You guys are going to be Fine. I just think you should go ahead and throw it on the table. Come out to your family about your relationship. Acknowledge that they're going to have perhaps feelings about it and be squicked out. Direct them to CousinCouples.com and to other websites that come to your defense or come to the defense of these common relationships. One in a thousand marriages are between cousins. Four in a thousand in Japan. I didn't know that until I went to CousinCouples.com just now and read about it. So the shame that you guys are struggling with and that's warping your relationship is opt-in shame. And you can opt the fuck out of this shame. And that may mean staring down some familial disapproval, but I've been there and you know what? It is stare down a bull. And the sooner you come out, the sooner you get stared at, the sooner you can stare at the fuck down. And then you no longer have to run and hide and sneak around. And if you do Don't want to come out or he doesn't want to come out, then he's not the only hot dom top in all of the United Kingdom who'd be up for a DS relationship with you. One that could have a public face and a public component as well. Don't tell yourself that it's him or nothing or him or no one else that you could possibly have the kind of sexual connection you have with him. You can find that kind of sexual connection with someone else. You're likelier to get out there and do the work of actually finding it if you end this relationship finally and forever, if indeed he's unwilling to publicly be your boyfriend.
1: Hi, Dan. I'm a 27-year-old transgender woman living on the West Coast. I had a question. I recently got back from uh, my brother's engagement party. Uh, He recently got engaged to one of my close friends from college. And I actually had a question about how to deal with in-laws or in-laws of your brother. I'm very close with my family. I have very loving relationships with my immediate family. And I was at an engagement party hosted by my parents in which the, the fiancé's family was in attendance. Um, I've for years had sort of an ongoing dispute with my, my brother's fiancé's mother, who consistently failed to respect my own gender
5: pronouns
1: I, in going to the party, decided I should try to put this all behind me and try to turn a new leaf in that relationship. And immediately uh, upon seeing this person, she immediately started with the same transphobic language and sort of subtle ways of being a very trans-exclusionary animal. And what was hurtful is both that she was so quick to to be dismissive of me and who I am in my family home, um, but also the fact that the rest of my family seems to really get along and enjoy these people's company. And so what I am calling to ask about is, is this a situation where I should just stay quiet and just say, I don't need to have a relationship with this person. Uh, this is someone who I can go to a wedding and be civil, and then I don't have to see this person anymore. Or do I have some right to expect that my family is also going to stand up for me? Um, I don't want to cause conflict with uh, my brother and his fiance. I care very much for his fiance and don't want to sort of ruin their special moment. Um, but it also felt really shitty to have my own family seem so enthralled with and, and excited about someone who was being so deliberately hurtful so to me. Uh, do I have some right to expect that my family will take my father, girl, Um, or is this something I should just let go?
2: You say your family is supportive. You say your brother's fiancé is an old friend of yours and has always been supportive and a human being to you. And yet your family and your brother and his fiancé, your friend and her family, stood by and did nothing and said nothing to this woman while she made transphobic comments, while she misgendered you, while she went out of her way to be a complete fucking asshole to you. How much is the support of your family worth or the support of your friend and her family worth if they won't stand up for you at a moment like that? I would definitely go to your family. I would definitely speak to your brother about how you were treated by his future mother-in-law He needs to go to his future mother-in-law and so does your friend, his fiancée, and communicate to her that that was unacceptable and cruel and that they won't tolerate it or put up with it. They need to take your side in this dispute. They need to run interference for you. It may not work. You know, if she's some trans-exclusionary radical feminist, it may not work. She may never agree to use – The correct pronouns in reference to you. She may always be an asshole, but the trick for her is can she keep her fucking mouth shut? And can you two cut each other a wide berth at whatever events you two happen to be at together? Can you avoid each other? At the very least, can you agree not to engage? That can be the sacrifice that you make, putting up with someone being at this wedding that you know who's an asshole, doesn't approve of the person you are, and fuck her for that. And the sacrifice she may need to make for familial harmony is keeping her goddamn transphobic mouth shut. If she can't, I really think that your family should tell her that she's not welcome. You know, if your brother were marrying a black person and you had a family member who couldn't not use the N word in general company or at all ever anywhere, that person probably wouldn't get an invitation to the wedding. If you're dad is marrying a dude after 20 years of heterosexual marriage, gets divorced, comes out and is marrying a dude, you know, an uncle or an aunt or a grandparent who hates gay people and can't shut the fuck up about it for five minutes to keep the peace at a family wedding. Probably not going to get an invitation or will be shown the door shortly after they arrive at that function. I think you have a right to expect the same deferential treatment. I do think that your brother and his fiance should take your side in this dispute and you have a right to ask them to take your side there is a compromised position though that can be the price that you pay and the the gesture that you make toward your brother and his fiance about how much you care about them as friends which may be they can get her to shut the fuck up and not antagonize you you are willing to be in the same room with her even though you know she harbors these beliefs and that is a sacrifice that you would be making But it's contingent upon the sacrifice that she needs to make, that this future mother-in-law needs to make, which is to keep her fucking bigoted mouth shut. And I'm not telling you to do anything that I haven't done myself. Not that I'm trans, but I have been to weddings for brothers-in-law who are fundamentalist evangelical Christians where we knew goddamn well that there were people in that room, including people up on the altar, who disapproved mightily of us. But they were having the decency and courtesy – to keep their fucking mouths shut around my husband and I. And we moved through that space and we put smiles on our faces and we got along to get along and to be kind to our relatives, our nearer relatives by not asking them to purge the invitation list of people who disapproved of homosexuality or our relationship or the fact that we were parents and on and on and on. And so I'm not, advising you to do, to make a sacrifice or to endure something at a wedding that I myself have not made, something that I myself have not endured at a wedding. It's part of the price we pay as family members is that you're going to get a large group of people together. Not everyone's going to be on the same page, even about your right to be who you are. I have been there. And what you do at that moment is you agree to disagree Contingent, again, upon everyone agreeing to shut the fuck up about the shit they disagree about, even if it is your humanity.
3: Hi, Dan. I'm a middle-aged gay guy on the East Coast, um, 51 years old. (laughs) Long time ago, I had an on-and-off thing with a guy uh, who I came to love very much. He basically um, chose another guy over me, um, which was really hard on me. And it's been over 15 years. I still can't get over him. I mean, I've, I've tried dating other guys, and there have been other guys in my life, but I still keep thinking about him, and I it drives me nuts, and I'm wondering if I should just buck up and see a shrink and try to get over it. I say this because he and I are still kind of friendly, but recently I saw a Facebook posting of how it's the relationship anniversary of the new guy. You know they've been together for sixteen years and all that, and I'm just like, "Oh God, you know it made me depressed, set me to a emotional tailspin, and part of the thing is I'm still single, um, my life has kind of been upside down lately. I had to move to a new city uh, for a job, which I then lost and was unemployed for a long time. Um, My father passed away, everything else like that. So I started a new job, making a lot less money, but at least I'm working and all that. So I'm kind of piecing my life back together. And I really, you know, I just possibly, too, I'm focusing on him because there's just not much else going on in my life. I haven't had sex in close to five years, I think. It's been that long. So... I'm just looking for some advice of how to forget about this guy, other than going to a shrink and maybe trying to just throwing myself into dating again. Although it's been so long, I just I don't have boyfriend skills. I don't know what I'd do with a guy if he showed up in my bedroom suddenly. I I'm, I feel like a teenager in an old man's body, and I keep remembering all these old movies about lonely middle-aged guys looking for romance before it's too late, and I now I totally, utterly sympathize. But anyway, Dan, forgetting a lost love and moving on with your life, do I need to see a shrink? Do I need to just throw myself into dating? Do I need to do both? Any help for us middle aged out there who are in the same boat I am, and I hope there are some, and I hope I'm not the only one. Thanks, Dan.
2: It's interesting that when you describe the Facebook post where you're the guy that you've been carrying this torch for for so long, uh, mentioned his anniversary with the guy that he chose over you. You describe that guy, that guy that he's still with, as the new guy. He's been with that guy for 15 or 16 years. He's not the new guy. That's not a new thing. It's not a new relationship. That's the guy, and it's been a long time. So yes to the shrink. Yes, to throwing yourself into dating. And there are lots of people your age out there who are single and who are looking and who have their own baggage and damage, uh, as we all do, even people who are partnered, even people who are not single and not looking have baggage and damage. Just be out there. Put yourself out there and be honest about your baggage. Maybe not go on and on and on about the torch you've been carrying for 15 years, as that is off-putting and it demonstrates piss poor judgment to talk about that with someone that who may be interested in you romantically, but yeah, put yourself the fuck out there. There's one thing that you need to do on top of those two things that you don't mention. And I'm going to put on the table and not put on the table. I'm going to order you to do unfollow this guy, your friend, your ex from 16 years ago. Unfollow him on Facebook, wherever it is that you're getting these updates about his life with that other guy, get your face out of there. Don't be following him on Instagram. Don't follow him on Facebook. Be done with him. Cut him out of your life. And tell yourself every day that you had this fantasy about who he was and who you were to each other. And that's the thing that you're obsessed with, that fantasy. And the reality could have been very different. You can't test how your relationship with him would have turned out. So it's always perfect in your imagination. It always would have worked out. It would have been great. But in reality, if you'd been with him, if he had chosen you maybe it wouldn't have been great maybe it would have been awful maybe the relationship that he's in now has been a 16 year long shit show that involves verbal or even physical abuse and he's a complete asshole and you don't know it because you're not in it and you never found that out because you didn't go with you for all you know he was the bullet you dodged so tell yourself a different story Have a different, darker fantasy about what could have happened if you wound up with him. Throw yourself into work. Throw yourself into dating. Throw your ass onto a therapist's couch and unfollow this guy. We're going to take a quick break from the new calls and play an old call, because I answered a question a couple of weeks ago, and I heard from someone online who thought my answer, which I thought it might be, was terrible. So we're going to do something we've never done before, which is play a call a second time, and we're going to have a do-over, this time with a guest expert. And here, before we bring on our guest expert, here is the original call that I fucked up the answer to.
12: Hey, Dan, here's my issue. Um, So I've been seeing this new guy who has an amazing dick, but every time I blow him, I pee myself. I've had some minor issues with leaking, like when I sneeze or when I run, but it's like a tiny little splash, not enough to soak through my clothes. But when I'm on my knees and I go down on him, I'll have that leakage if I'm like choking or gagging. But if he comes in my mouth, I straight up lose control and piss on the carpet. I always go to the bathroom before sex because I don't want to have to stop to pee in the middle of fucking. So how do I prevent this? It's really embarrassing. Also, should I be worried that this is a health issue? I've always associated urinary incontinence with older women and moms, not healthy childless ladies in their 20s.
2: All right, joining me for this very rare do-over, Dr. Rachel Gelman, a clinical specialist at the Pelvic Health and Rehabilitation Center in San Francisco, where she specializes in the physical therapy management of numerous pelvic floor disorders, including pelvic pain and sexual dysfunction. Dr. Gelman, thank you for jumping on the phone.
13: Thank you for having me, and you can call me, Rachel.
2: Okay, Rachel, thank you for jumping on the phone. You heard <laughs> my—you heard the question when it first was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. You heard my response, and you thought, that is a terrible response. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> He should have called me. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> and so now we're calling you. So what did I get wrong? Yes. You know, I said, like recapping quickly for people who didn't memorize, I said, I don't know what the answer might be. I hope there's other people out there listening who call in with some better advice for you. But I theorized that maybe she was getting aroused during exercise mm-hmm. uh, and having you know, wee orgasms. And there was something about blowing this guy and him coming in her mouth that was so arousing, she was having kind of a, you know, I just... Spitballing that maybe she was, in you know, mm-hmm. sort of peeing the floor, no, yeah, just losing control yeah. of her bladder. And so go, you tear my, you tear my response yeah. apart, and then give the response I should have given. No, I you for no, 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 no,
13: uh, no. No, so I definitely, you know, I think there could be a couple of things going on. I definitely think your response could be a, like, you know, a factor in what's happening. Um, but the first thing I definitely would like to um, address is the caller's comment about how she feels like the leaking is just something that happens in older women or mom. Um, and that's a very common misconception. And But here at my practice or at the Pelvic Health and Rehab Center, we see patients who are women and men in their 20s and 30s. So this type of what we call pelvic floor dysfunction is an equal opportunity um, problem. So it definitely happens in younger people. So I really wanted to dispel that myth that I see young women and young men um, who complain of similar things. So it's definitely not something that only happens to older women and moms. Um, But then when I was listening to it, I was like, this is so interesting and hence why I reached out to you. Um, Because what I think might be happening um, is when she's giving oral sex, She's probably over-engaging her abdominal muscle and probably squeezing her glutes. And the reason that's important is because these pelvic muscles, um, you know, support your pelvic organs. So for women, that's the bladder, uterus, and colon, um, and then it's the bladder, prostate, and colon. And they're always supporting those organs. And what can happen is people always think like, oh, the muscles are probably weak and that's why I'm leaking. And that's definitely something that can happen. But what I think is going on with her is a couple of things. One, that the muscles are actually over-engaging. So she's using them incorrectly. They're always tightening up. And then when she's giving oral sex, she is having this, what we call, the maneuver or increased abdominal pressure. And that increased pressure in her abdomen is just too much for these little pelvic floor muscles to take. And then they are just letting go. And that's why she's fully losing her bladder. so that's the one thing I think might be going on. So I'd be curious to see her and see what her pelvic floor feels like because I'm kind of guessing that's either too much tone or there's restrictions or what we call hypertonic. Um, and also, I'm wondering if she has difficulty using the muscles correctly, especially since she talks about leaking with sneezing and running. So potentially, these muscles aren't able to engage when they're supposed to. Um, or there might be an issue with endurance. So that's the other reason I'm wondering if she is leaking when her partner ejaculates, because just over time, I don't know how long, you know, she's performing oral sex for, but potentially over time, these muscles just can no longer do their job, and that's why they're losing control. In combination with the fact that, you know, she probably is aroused, so she's having, you know, there's a lot going on basically in her pelvis. And just that perfect storm of being aroused and then engaging her muscles, you know, incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having this increased abdominal pressure. And, you know, maybe, I don't know if when he's ejaculating, if he's thrusting deeper into her throat um, or there's some sort of a startle effect. And that is also contributing. Um, so I'd be curious if she change her position while giving oral sex Um, because potentially, again, if she's on her knees, she might be squeezing her glutes a lot, squeezing her abdomen. Um, So I'd be interested if she were to perform oral sex playing kind of on her side in almost like a modified 69, um, if that would make a difference for her because then her muscles can be more relaxed and she won't be like over engaging her abdominals and her glutes.
2: Is this something that she can only work around and accommodate? There's not a treatment here that can make this problem go away where she can learn to use the muscles more correctly?
13: No, there's definitely stuff she can do. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely encourage her to reach out to a pelvic floor physical therapist who could assess, um, her pelvic floor as well as any of the muscles externally that also attach to the pelvis. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if there's any restrictions in those muscles, those can be worked on. um, basically increasing blood flow to that area, promoting tissue healing. Um, but also seeing how she's engaging her pelvic floor, if she's doing it correctly, incorrectly. Um, I'd say the majority of people don't know how to correctly perform a Kegel or a pelvic floor contraction. Um, so seeing how she's using her muscles and basically re-educating her on how to do that. Um, so that would be, and also, you know, a PT might be able to See like how she's performing oral sex and see what she's doing because maybe she is a physical therapist um, doing the... yes. Mm-hmm. So, so she so, was so still a, obviously
2: a, a question that's relevant for her, but I think a, a lot of people may have this problem or face this issue. She has, you know, this physical problem that she might need to see a doctor about, but mm-hmm. it's about sex, and a lot of people have a hard time opening up to their doctor about sex. Mm-hmm. You know, she's going to have, you know, she might be self-conscious going to see a doctor and saying, "When I give a blowjob and I'm on my knees and he mm-hmm. comes in my mouth, I lose control <laughs> of my bladder." As a doctor, what would you advise people who are hesitant to have those kinds of conversations with their physicians about?
13: Yeah, I mean, I definitely hear that a lot because, unfortunately, not everyone is comfortable talking about sex. But I would say majority of healthcare providers are very open and want to help their patients. That's why, you know, we're here to do good and to help people. So, you know, I would say just try, even if you need to like write it down beforehand and give it to your provider, if that's more comfortable for you. Um, But I'd say just know there are people, a lot of people out there who are comfortable and you can Find resources on various websites, Um, and like the International Pelvic Pain Society is a good place to start.
2: Um, And if your doctor has a negative reaction to you, you know, discussing. Uh, a, a physical problem with a sexual component mm-hmm. that's your doctor telling you there's to find a different doctor yeah there, there's something wrong with them <laughs> there's nothing wrong with you your doctor has yes. a problem and you need a better doctor like people go into that interaction exactly. because the doctor is such an authority figure and they fear being shamed but if your doctor has a sex mm-hmm. negative out on you they brought shame on themselves and you just need to back exactly. out of the room and ask to see a different person at that clinic or mm-hmm. ask or go someplace else find a different doctor
13: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it it sadly is still something that happens, which I always find very shocking um, because it's 2017. But yeah, definitely if you're getting shamed or getting information that just doesn't feel right to you, um, you have every right as a patient um, to ask to see someone else, to um, find someone else to help you because there are people out there and who are very open and willing to discuss whatever your condition is problem is, um, and there's no need to really suffer in silence um, because there are people who can help
2: Dr. Rachel Gelman, a clinical specialist at the pelvic Health and Rehabilitation center in San Francisco. Thank you so much for reaching out. That was a much better answer than I gave and uh, <laughs> we may have this be a semi regular segment the do over
13: yeah i mean i I would love to. I was very. Surprise! and now i'm just going to start tagging all sorts of people in instagram <laughs> posts because i'm sure beyonce when she has those twins she's going to need some help
2: i'm sure beyonce's uh been a listener to the podcast from from podcast number one thank you so much rachel really appreciate it
5: of course hi dan my name is ariel and i'm a 27 year old female from st petersburg florida i love your show and i always thought i'd call in with a sexy question but uh Unfortunately, I have one dealing with my parents' divorce. I'm having a difficult time with something, and I need some advice from you guys since you're outside of the situation. April 23rd is my dad's 60th birthday, and his girlfriend is throwing him a surprise party up in New York where they live. About 40 of my family members are going to be there, and she got him all these awesome personalized things and a cute t-shirt to go to the party with, and I know he's just going to love it because he loves that stuff. The problem is my parents got divorced a few years ago, my mom has chosen to place all of our anger, resentment, and hatred towards this woman. And has even threatened suicide and the termination of our relationship if I was ever to see her in person. I believe that my dad got divorced for many reasons, and the details of his relationship with his current girlfriend, while my mom and him were still married, are a little unclear. Well, I know that my mother is probably being a little dramatic, and I don't think she'd actually take her own life um, over something like that, nor completely dissolve a relationship with her own daughter. I know that dealing with her emotional trauma is going to be hell for me. She can be very nice and means the best for me, but she's also a very intense person. And although I'm not proud, I could say that many of me and my brother's life decisions have been based off of her emotions. My mom does not know about the party yet, but I know I'd have to tell her just based out of respect. And my family is pretty gossipy, and even if I didn't tell her, word would get back to her eventually. So my question is, did I fall victim to my mother's emotional uh, blackmail and break my dad's heart by his own kids not being at his party, but everyone else that he loves would be? Do I crush my mom's soul by spending time with a woman who's a source of so much of her pain and then probably take what would be months to rebuild my relationship with my mother? Do I just FaceTime with my dad at the party so that my heart's in the right place, but is that just a shallow cop-out? Other factors to consider for it or that my brother flat out said no when it was brought up if he wanted to go. So it would probably just be me going by myself and that might dissolve ties with my brother. My dad only turned 60 once and it's a big birthday with the surprise celebration making it seem even grander. I know I'm going to have to rip off the band-aid eventually and meet his girlfriend and hurt my mom, but is this the right time to do it?
2: What your mother is engaged in here is exactly how you described it. It is emotional blackmail and you need to establish some boundaries with your mom. You needed to establish them with your mom years ago, and you should just tell her you're going to this fucking party and let the explosion happen. And if it costs you FaceTime or phone calls from your manipulative mom, well, I don't see how that isn't a win for you in the end. Go to your dad's birthday party, meet his new girlfriend, let your mother have her fucking freak out. And you say this woman, this girlfriend, the person your dad is with now is the source of so much of your mother's pain. Yeah, it's a source of so much of your mother's performative pain, so much of her weaponized pain. Your mother is able to control you and your brother by being in so much pain about her divorce and about her husband's new girlfriend. And she's never going to stop manipulating those levers so long as those levers continue to work. She's never going to get over the pain that she feels or the pain that was caused her by the, the end of her marriage and this woman, if it's useful to her. And it is useful to her because she's able to control both you and your brother with that pain. Stop allowing your mother to control you with that pain. Acknowledge your mother's pain. Tell her you're sorry for her pain, but you love your father. You are going to see your father on his birthday. You are going to go to this party. You do not want to cause pain to your dad by not having any of his kids at his birthday party. And your mother's just going to, like so many other people whose relationships or marriages came to an end, whose exes moved on to new partners. She's just going to have to get the fuck over it. And you're not going to entertain this any longer. It has been years since her marriage ended. It will always be a source of pain. But you will not allow her any longer to control you like this with her pain just listen to the
1: call of the woman who said that her quote-unquote feminist uh boyfriend uh didn't give two shits about making her come and i just want to say to you dan thank you so much for going after him i was listening to your response and i was like yes get him dan get him oh my god fuck that guy
4: hi dan about that bathtub full of semen There are oodles of hair products and body gels and conditioners with the color and consistency, if not the taste, of cum. I've seen it dribbling down the walls of my shower and contemplated what a visitor might imagine had been going on in there. I just have to wonder how the caller definitively identified the the substance on the shower as semen. Did she examine it under a microscope? Smell it? Taste it? That it was some other innocuous substance, especially given its copious quantity, sure seems the most likely explanation to me.
9: I'm calling about the cleaning service lady in episode 546 who was really upset that there was cum in the bathtub and wanted to leave consent literature. That was literally the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. And for being a cool, hip, pansexual, cis chick, that's a pretty fucking douche move. Um, If you have a cleaning service, you have to clean everything and I'm pretty sure this person wasn't trying to come everywhere just to have her clean. Like what happens when I take a shit and there's like a little bit of like stuff left over? Like am I supposed to apologize to my clean lady that I forgot? That's mortifying. So she should take a chill pill and either stop going and not say anything or just chill the fuck out.
2: And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. If you want to hear more from me about politics, be sure to subscribe to The Stranger's weekly political podcast, Blabbermouth, hosted by the surprise-winning journalist Eli Sanders, featuring me and Rich Smith. Goes up every Wednesday afternoon. The call for submissions for Hump, My Little Porn Film Festival, Hump 2017, is up. Go to humpfilmfest.com for information about making and submitting a film to this year's Hump Film Fest. Follow me on Twitter, at savage. Follow Dr. Rachel Gelman on Instagram, at PelvicHealthSF. And finally, a quick shout-out to everyone at Oxballs who listens to the show while they're at work. Hey, guys. See you at IML. All right. That was Lovecast, produced every week by Nancy Hartunian me and the Tex-Heavy at Rescue and Nancy. I'll be back at you next week in our installment of the Savage Clubcast. Thanks for having me.